0: Welcome to the Coming Clean Podcast with your host, Bye, Peter boy. O. Hit
1: hit a dash in my position, you will never
0: For over 25 years, entrepreneur, speaker, and CEO, Peter O. Estevez has built businesses all over the world, and today, he shares his experiences, failures, and successes along the side of some of the most sought-after thought leaders to help you pave your way to success. Please welcome to the show, your host, Peter O. Estevez. Oh, I had get it fast. I a dash in my position, you will never less. Nah, real talk, I had
1: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Coming Clean Podcast. You know, today we're going to switch it a little bit. I have a um, an incredible gentleman, Norman Stone, who is an executive producer, a director. Uh, Norman is a highly acclaimed, multi-award winning TV and film director, producer of drama, documentary films. He has two Emmys, two BAFTAs, and a numerous other highlights. Norman is a... Uh, is CEO of Scottish-based independent film TV company Roy Productions and a 47 years in filmmaking his story however caught my attention when he produced a film a film about addiction and recovery called The Final Fix and as you can tell from the title of the film itself it not only caught my attention it intrigued me deeply because, as my audience well knows, I've been sober and in recovery for a little over twenty years, and I have had an incredible journey in recovery. And I think it's selfish to not be able to share any type of solution or possibility to a solution that is out there. The interesting part about Norman Stone that he's across the pond; he is uh, in Europe, in London, to be to be uh, to be uh, uh, exact. And he took a great interest. Uh, in creating a film about addiction, opiates uh, to be, to be a specific, in America, uh, in Kentucky, and in Virginia. Um, the Final Fix. Norman, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. It's great to be
0: here. Very interesting. Thank you.
1: Norman, I guess my first question, and one that would pique the interest of our audience, of our community, would be, you a gentleman that has never had any addictions. Uh, what would you be interested in doing a documentary, particularly in America, about addiction?
0: That's a good question. Um, and it is a good story. But once you come across it, okay, years ago in the 70s, I was finishing film school. I needed a job. The BBC was the only way you could get a job at that time because of the unions. I went and visited a fellow filmmaker, an older man called George Patterson, who I'd met. And his wife turned out to be a doctor who got an award from the Queen, was very well respected, did all this wonderful charity hospital stuff. So I went around for a cup of tea, as we do in Britain, and I was sitting next to a guy with a sort of a, a frizzy haircut and two little electro wires coming down either right side, who said his name was Eric. And um, and we chatted away, and we had a nice cup of some tea, and I went my way, and I discovered that was Eric Clapton. I didn't even recognize him. He changed. Yeah, the, the rock and roll guitarist. Okay. Um, and I didn't even recognize him. And it turned out that George, the filmmaker's wife, had this new treatment that she claimed got people off addiction. Well, when you come across that, hey, Eric Clapton isn't a bad person to accidentally meet, but... You see him come off too. He came clean. And I wanted to get into films uh, in, on on broadcast. And I went to the BBC and my pitch went something like this. Eric Clapton, Eric Clapton, Eric Clapton. And they said, hey, let's have a film. And he didn't even appear in the finished film. That was a strange thing. But I was hooked on the idea that, my goodness, could this work? What she claimed in those days was... In 10 days, you will leave, leave your um, addiction with minimal discomfort and no more cravings. Now, you might as well say the moon is made of green cheese. I, I knew some uh, addicts and people who are substance abusing at that time. And, you know, it's just not an easy thing to say. So I said, if I make a film for this, the BBC were now keen. Um, I will show it if it works or I'll show if it doesn't work. And I wasn't persuaded fully that it would work, to tell the truth. And I made that film. It was called Off the Hook. Um, And basically, it did work. And the man that came off, I'd never met him before. He was recommended by a doctor. He was going downhill fast, couldn't give it up, would reckon to be dead soon. He's still alive and well today, still clean after 40-odd years, um, which is pretty good proof. Uh, if you think of it that way. And he's great.
1: So, 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 so let me, we're talking back in the 70s, just to, just to kind mm-hmm. of recap. Uh, you at an event, you meet George Patterson because you're trying to get into the film industry. George Patterson is, is married to Dr. Margaret Ingram. And Dr. Ingram is running an experiment at the time. And her subject was Eric Clapton, the rock and roll yeah.
0: star. <laughs> so you can see why I was attracted. It's this bizarre story to hear you say that. But that's true. She'd come from Hong Kong, to tell you the truth, where she'd worked in a charity hospital. She didn't realize everyone was, uh, loads and loads of people in the charity hospital were, of course, hooked on opium. And she was using uh, electroanesthesia from acupuncture. To, they used it as a hospital, um, numb the pain while they, while they did a quick operation. But in post-operative checkups, these people said, ever since you use the needles, doctor, I don't smoke opium anymore. And she said, patted them on the head and said, oh, next. Very good. Bye. Again, 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 again. She said, Norman, it was working. And then they had to come over to Britain, uh, where I accidentally met because of the film th- thing. And the next thing I'm, I'm finding out all about them and watching a, a guy come off in front of me, which was an extraordinary experience. And at that point, I thought, that's it. Game, set, match, all over, it's fine. We can beat addiction. We can at least improve the situation with addiction. We can bring people off. If you come off in 10 days, it's now five days. they have improved it more. And you can still walk free. I, I almost didn't want to make any other films that would sound as if I was making a, 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 I don't know, a, a, an infomercial or something. But I couldn't deny what I'd seen. And I am committed to truth. I'm an honest go. And, I, and on this latest film, the, at the other end of my career, I thought, you know, I hear all this stuff about opioids from America. At that point, we didn't have them over here. Talking 2018, it wasn't very big over here at that point. But can you believe it? If that is still not used, maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe there's a crack in the foundations that I haven't discovered yet. So I said, if I do another film on this, a big one, a real hard look, and I do my own trial, and I do everything. I'm not kidding. If I find a crack, it will be off my shoulders. Wonderful, I can move on and do other things. Uh, so I did this film, and what you see is the final fix, and you'll see what happens.
1: Now, let me ask you a question: What was it in the '70s that Dr. Uh, Ingram was doing, and what was she was she actually uh, testing NET on Ingram? Uh, because you, you said that they were doing an electric anesthesia. Anesthetic, yeah. okay. So, but
0: she was already doing NET neuroelectric therapy. Well, it's a good question. She, when she was in Hong Kong, she was using it purely for medical purposes and and, and dulling the pain. Um, it was part of the procedure. It was part of the procedure. It Was not the, intended. Okay. And she thought, uh, oh, um, this isn't working. When she thought it might be working, she started to work on just people who were not uh, who were not at anything wrong with them. They were just. Addicted people on opium, and they came off. And then she said, "Well, it must be the Chinese. The, 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 the Hong Kongese are very phlegmatic and tough." So she went and found some poor little rich kids that had got messed up on heroin, and I've got footage of that with them coming off. And then they came back to Britain. But when I made my first film, it was in 1975. Nobody knew about endorphins; they'd not been discovered yet. Even the natural painkillers of the brain, endorphins and kephalins, you know all sure, sure, that—they sure. hadn't been discovered. So all these wonderful wealthy, high-level doctors in London said, she's such a wonderful woman, they're coming off just for her. Which I thought, that's trite, that's rubbish. I mean, otherwise we just have a good training school for old ladies and we've got no more problems, right? We, 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 they come off with the nice lady. That wasn't the fact. So when you look into it, the next year in Aberdeen University, Professors Kostelitz and Hughes discovered endorphins, the natural painkillers of the brain, and suddenly what was going on here became very clear. It reactivates the natural painkillers that have stopped being used, stopped being produced by the body, because you've taken this whizzy drug of addiction that makes you feel way, but before long, you're taking it just to feel normal, and before long, you're in real trouble, and that means that when you stop your drug of addiction, you go through cold turkey, because you do not have those natural painkillers back. That was in 76 they discovered that. And I did do one of the film in 77 explaining this to the people. And all the doctors that said she was such a nice lady wouldn't talk to me. And I thought, that's strange. And they just wouldn't explore it.
1: Uh, Norman, what is uh, neuroelectric
0: therapy? How would you explain it on simple layman terms? Simple layman's terms. That's me. I'm a simple layman. Okay, let me put it very simplistically. I haven't practiced this at home, I promise you. If you, we normally poddle on quite well with our natural painkillers, right? Endorphins, let's call them that, the main ones. If you take a drug of addiction, woo, it feels great. So you take another one, woo, and your body, which is not stupid, actually makes less natural painkillers. So you have to take a bit more to get that Woo. The body says, okay, you don't need me, makes a bit less. Until in the end, as I say, you're just taking it to feel normal and you are stuck. I mean, one of the most horrific things I've ever seen in my life, and I've seen it quite a few times, is people who are not in control of themselves, much as they like to say the right things, there's something got them behind the neck and it's leading them in the other direction, and that's addiction. They cannot make fair, simple choices. They're beyond that. And that is a horrific situation to be in. What this treatment does, since you ask, it appears to, and I believe you can prove it does do, it actually just re-stimulates the creation of those endorphins and enkephalins. That's why, when you look at the film, and in the film you'll you'll see exactly what I saw. No, nothing in my sleeve. No, no tricks. And that is, they get back without. They're astonished that they're not in pain. They are crazy that they're feeling this good. One man said, Ross, in the film, I didn't film this, but he said, what have you done to me? My emotions are right in front of me. I'm feeling things that I haven't felt for 20 years. And that was on day three. By day five, they're just better than normal people. You've seen the film. I mean, Look at Robert Capley. Amazing. Sure,
1: I, I, absolutely. So explain it, to, to, to explain it in sim- very simple terms. Basically, addiction, what he does, he numbs the body, it reactivates the, the the brain into the craving, and really you're operating from strictly your brain, but in a numb state of, of, of being, right? Uh, so 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 now your brain believes that the only way that you can operate, okay, if you call under the influence, being operative, uh, <laughs> you can operate uh, by by inducing more uh, drugs into your system. So you really basically you're dumb what the natural, uh, you, 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 not dumb your, sure. it's everything that our body chemically produces in order to
0: yeah. give us that food that, that we all want. And it's very scientific. You can prove it if you would. And they, they've always asked, especially now, give us a random control trial, test us out, put us against anything. People strangely will not because the way the system is set up at the moment is very well, uh, Profitability is very important to certain people and certain companies. That's all.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Just to talk a little bit about that, you know, uh, some of the statistics that you share in the film um, in twenty eleven, okay, three hundred and seventy one million dosages of uh, of opiates were dispensed in a state that has four million in population.
0: It's crazy. And even now, don't get me started on this, because even How is that even legal?
1: How is that even legal? How how is that even conscionable?
0: It's the dishonesty of the broken spirit of mankind. It is the fallen nature of man. It is gimme, 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 shove you. That's what it is. And when it's happening again now, Purdue farmer that got clobbered, as we would say in England, in the States a year ago in the courts, hung on. They shouldn't have been allowed. They hung on to two, two billion. Two billion, only a little two, but two billion. They've taken it to India and they're now doing exactly the same they did on America to the young and rising race of wealthy India. That's what they're doing with it right now. They also happen to have a, the copyright onto a Suboxone thing as well, so they're coming back in saying, oh, you need this, you need this. It is a wicked and evil situation doubly so when you won't look at anything that is potentially good for the person as opposed to your profits. So this is a non-pharmaceutical treatment that doesn't go down very well when you're making billions of profits. It also works they won't then pace it and talk with it and that makes me angry as a journalist what on earth is going on and why was it allowed to happen and why isn't it being looked at now?
1: And I want to talk about two couple of things but I want to highlight something else you know uh, I want to go back a little bit in history to the opiate, um, um, epidemic. Uh, you know, one of the things that happened was that it was, it began as a marketing plot by the pharmaceutical companies and the doctors. Okay. You have pain, you numb the pain and this is fine and it's not addictive. So very early on, it was, pr- it, you know, the drug was promoted uh as, as, as a non-addictive drug
0: okay sure. you know what that was based on do you know <laughs> what that was based on no tell Thomas. me okay well when they say do you know that less than one percent of people taking this drug stand a chance of getting addicted they quoted a famous medical magazine if you look to where that was it was some wacko who wrote a letter in a letter from the letters page saying in my opinion Less than 1% of people probably get addicted. Now that, they may have even written the letter themselves. I don't know. But this was quoted as if it was some great medical statement. It was from the Wacko letters page. And they successfully went forward with that and ended up with 14 billion at least and killing 400,000 at least. All for profit. I get so I, angry
1: and and, and and I understand why you would get angry. I get angry when I read read the statistics of 371 million dosages were dispensed in a population in the state of 4 million people. I mean that that is outrageous, egregious, okay? But 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 I want to go back to the point that initially at least from the medical perspective, this is not started as some sort of conspiracy. This was something that you know, because I like to believe—at least me growing up—that the medical profession was one of dignity and and kindness and love. Right, early on, early on, when we used to see the the you know the the small town doctor that would go and do the home visits and stuff yeah. like that. Okay, that's changed. That's changed. I, I I think as we live in an economy that is commercialized, that is, yeah, that, that's that, it. That,
0: follow yeah, the money. Yeah,
1: follow the money. Follow the money.
0: All of that. It. Well, I think the idea of, of it being good, like I say, when I did that first film, I thought this is great. I, you know, I later did a film about Florence Nightingale. I had backer; she was a good woman. I thought that this was everyone out for the best for people. It is not. And the higher you get up the pole, the more you have in the more skin you have in the game, and the more prestige you have as a person, the less you want the status quo to be changed. That's the fact. So why? When this has been asked at the FDA since 1978, it has never hurt anybody. It has only helped people. Why, as a journalist, I have to ask, is there no inkling of actually helping? They're still sidestepping it, tripping it over, ignoring it still. Well, it could have a little something to do with money. And I could tell you things about the FDA and the quick signature of a drug like Dysuvia. Oh, yes, Done which you are not even allowed to open in a room with children, this pack, in case they die because you opened it with this drug in it. It's that dangerous. It's massively more strong than than fentanyl, 100 times at least more strong than that, and that was signed off with a quick flick of the wrist, and I'm sure money was involved, yet something that doesn't harm but only helps. Hey, don't want that. So so just,
1: just so the audience can understand, Tell us a little bit about the film, and then I'm going to hit you with some hard questions, too.
0: Okay, please do. Uh, you're,
1: you're, you're not going to get away easy, even though good. i can like have a cup of tea with you someday. But, but <laughs> Good. Okay, the film. Um, so tell us about what, the film and what happens during that
0: film. Okay. You start making a film, and you commit yourself to being honest. And you don't have a script. You don't know exactly what's going to go on. Um, but you want to cover it. So the first time we went over there in 2018, uh, we met lots of people who were involved in Kentucky. We chose in the end Kentucky, uh, and Louisville in particular, as a hotspot, and we met some great people out there. And we wanted to get a measure of how bad it was. Were the stories that some some of the facts you've mentioned, were they really true? Was there an easy way around? Whatever. We found it was very bad. We found there was little hope. We found there were people giving their lives, uh, a couple of people who are in, in the um, emergency rescue services, the EMS, the wife takes a shift from five o'clock in the morning to five o'clock in the evening. The husband takes the clock shift from the five o'clock in the evening to five o'clock in the morning. It's mom and pop trying to save Gotham City by themselves. It's, it's a most moving. So when we realized how bad the situation was, I started to tell them about this thing i made film about before. N.E.T. Of course, it sounded like a fairy tale, which was great. But people with open minds said, well, let, tell me more or let me see it. And asked all the questions. So I thought the next thing's going to be is to run a trial. We couldn't afford the masses of them. There was five or six maximum spaces on this thing. And I was helped by a recovery center, Isaiah House in Kentucky. Um, and they gave us free accommodation, free facilities, a med room, the whole thing. And we filmed. And in five days, they were all off, looking, apart from the one guy that, that left, and that's another story. That's part of the story, and it's a classic sad tale. Uh, but the others were fine, absolutely fine. Um, they wanted to go home. I was saying, hang on, what, have they had enough rehab or whatever? You need very little rehab with this. It's individual. You might some need more than others. They went. They're still fighting fit and wonderful, humorous people today. Um, so we, we showed it and happened. Then we brought in, during that, skeptical, let, medical... Let, 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 let,
1: let, let, me, let me stop you right there for a second because there's there's a lot of the community here. There's, you know, in, in, in the last 5, 10 years, certainly during these times where the internet has exploded and social media has exploded, there has come about multiple ways of uh, recovery, okay? Anything from self-recovery... Of course, you and I talked earlier before the podcast about, uh, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, alcoholics anonymous, there's 12-step programs, there's rehab houses, there's a slew of recovery out there today, okay? Uh, self-imposed recovery, whether it works or not, it's all to be determined, okay? But there is certainly a new way for how people see recovery. I have my own opinions of it. I've been sober 20 years but well, one thing that was taught to me very early on in recovery okay was that a 12 step program helps you stop the drinking okay but then you have to maintain your recovery in order not to relapse okay so if you do not if you do not perform a series of rituals or your 12 step program in fact in recovery you are thought that the 12 step programs never end. You finish them, you do them again. You finish, you do them again. And we talked about service work and we talked about, you know, um, I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you. I don't believe, I think that once you recover, you recover, okay? But that's just my personal opinion. I do think that as a human being, I have a responsibility to maintaining my well being, okay? Uh, because I have some glitches that I need to to handle on my own, okay? But you are actually just finished telling me right now that after 10 days, 5 days, whatever number of days, these people were well, and there's no
0: 5 days, and here's the weird thing, and this is the kicker, and people will be quite within their rights to think that this is nuts, because it sounds nuts. Anyone who knows about addiction of any sort It sounds nuts. The real kicker in this is that after you are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and you're through with minimum discomfort, if anything, of pain, didn't see much pain at all uh, in filming, it takes away the cravings. Now that little sentence, if that is true, it's dynamite. I have filmed it, watched it, tried to get every angle on it, asked the questions on it. Um, far as an uh, outside observer's concerned, it is true. The cravings go. What they say, the people that run this thing, say, we take away cravings and give back choice. That's an interesting phrase. Sure. It means you would have choice before. Uh, not very much of it at all there, but you take away cravings and you give back choice. When you don't have cravings, whether it's alcohol, opiates, um, subox- uh, suboxone is an opiate, anything, whatever, they, they are unbelievably free, and they don't have the monkey on their back or the hunger or have to watch themselves where they go. Now, that seems almost, almost, you understand what I'm saying, almost unfair. How dare they have it that easy? I say easy. How How dare they open the gate to the open countryside like that when we know it's a trauma normally. We know it's difficult. You through AA, which I think is great, but you know the problems there, and yet there you are. They are... How can I put it? They're clothed and in their right mind, says the good book. And when you really, they are that. They are back to normal human beings. Their parents can't believe it. Their wives come back to them. The whole thing is strange because what did they do? They had a little electric stimulation. That's all it is. You can sleep with a thing on it. It's just a tap behind the ear. That's all it is. And yet this thing works. Now, when that first began, electric medicine was not known about. Uh, it was it was certainly poo pooed by the experts. Now we're getting a lot, a lot more to know that uh, that electric medicine is working. Dr. Galamberti over in Padua in Italy uh, is, is using the same thing to get people off cocaine, just in a, a little electric stimulation. There are others too. I have no doubt. I mean, you can't stop history. I have no doubt that this will be fine in a few years' time. Even the the natural, slowness of the medical world to accept anything new because you're doing very well on how it was, thank you very much. Anesthetic took 30 years. They were still giving people painful operations without anesthetic, saying, we steer our scalpels by the quality of pain we induce. Thank you very much. Although anesthetic had been there 30 years. And then the great oak tables with the leather straps to strap down your patient stopped being ordered. It passed on. I always thought that was generational. Penicillin is the same, 30 years, a generational thing. So 30 years in, I was doing other films, doing dramas. I thought, oh, NETL come come good. It didn't. They're still being pushed to the side, pushed to the side. And Could that be, I wondered, about the fact that so many people are making so much money out of this? You add money to that and people don't want to know it. I have had people walk away from my camera, refuse to talk to me anymore because it worked. I've had people tell me lies in front of the camera. I've had people absolutely diss it, diss it in English, um, dismiss it uh, without any facts or or, or cases, not wanting to touch the machine or anything to not get themselves into a position where they would be backing something that more or less all of their friends are making money off. There's legal pushers and there's illegal pushers. And when you were giving the history of pain and the opiates, you forgot one thing. The very beginning, the first thing they did was make pain the all-important. They wanted it to be a vital sign until later they discovered you cannot make it a vital sign. We feel different sorts of pain, and it's not sure. even. But they made it a vital sign, then said, you deserve no pain. And when None of us wants pain. You take this, and then the in come the lies. Yeah, you'll be fine, absolutely fine, knowing that you were going to be hooked. That's the killer. You know that you're telling lies, but you know what? You're going to get rich.
1: Norman, your first, your first film was off the hook. Yeah. Really, that film was inspired by the meeting of uh, George Patterson and Dr. Ingram. Yeah. And during that time, you met Eric Clampton. He was the best case study you could have. You, you, you saw him, you touched him. You know, today we have something that is called influencers. We have collaborations. We have where people get on Instagram and Facebook and they officially or unofficially endorse your product, and that can skyrocket you to an opportunity beyond the people's wireless dreams. People can become you know, we have five hundred thousand downloads per month on our podcast that we started a year ago. Okay. So there's 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 certainly an opportunity today to be able to to go viral, for lack of a better word. Why didn't you use the Eric Clampton accordingly
0: at the time? Or Keith Richard, or Boy George, or Pete Townsend, or you can. Because for a while, the only people that were putting, uh, that wanted so much for their, it was the managers. They wanted to make money off their, their stars rather than watch them dissolve into a heap of addiction and that's understandable and that money was what enabled the research to be done they were still living frugally in london but their research was being paid for by the rock and roll world it's amazing pete tanzan was particularly helpful and they all at first started to want to do things and concerts and all that sort of thing I don't know whether you know any rock stars. I was talking to one just the other day, he's great. He came off, a famous guy, and he still said, he said, Meg Patterson, Meg them changed my life, saved my life, and all that. But yeah, most rock stars, I was careful what I say because they're nice people, some of them, uh, but they, they're like a kid in a candy store and they own the candy store. So they, gimme, gimme, I want this, I want this. You go to a drink, you go to groupies, you go to whatever, I could say that one famous rock star stole a machine and tried to do things. They're like uncontrolled kids. I You, have you, you many- said it exactly right. They're,
1: they're kids and they can destroy their own.
0: That's right. So they are not what you might call a responsible area of society to push this forward. So Eric Clapton owns a, a rehab center, an, an alcoholic rehab center in the Bahamas, I believe. And he's good. God bless him. I believe a a hurricane took him out for a while, but then it's back again. The reasons that he knows and I do not, he has left his drug side behind and he is not particularly interested in revisiting it. That's the other thing. I don't want to talk about that anymore. I'm through. So it didn't he doesn't use any Or I hasn't asked to as far as I know. But there are so many rock stars today that have actually come off through this way because that was the only way of getting off. And I could tell you some wonderful and hair-raising and often humorous stories about that. But I wouldn't say that they are reliable to join a team and say, let's do it. Had this situation been here now a year or two years after they um, first came off, because I know they tried to do concerts and all the other stuff, then it probably would be. But it's a very strange world to live in if you're a – Hungry Kid in a Candy Store. That's what I'd say. I need, uh, not to be relied upon. But it's a, you read Conversations with Eric Clapton, a book by Steve Turner. He was there when that was happening too. You can look them all up. Pete Townsend's great still. Um, so I wouldn't want to build on that. I want to build on fact. Does this work? Does it not work? How can we get it out to the people that need it? What's stopping it getting out there? Ugly situations with money occur in America. But, but let's see if we can just do some good, show how it works, Give a trial. RCT, random control trial. Let's do it. I would love Kentucky where I lived so much of my last two and a half years. I know the drugs are there and everything. Why not just say an open season on anyone who wants to get up, come in and see. Let people watch. Let the press come in. It's either going to work or not. There's only one sort of person that's not going to want it to work, and that's people that are making money off the status quo as it is now. And they, unfortunately, are very powerful people.
1: And the reality is, the reality is that, that every enterprise needs to be monetized in order for it to exist. Fairly,
0: sure. uh, yeah. rarely and sometimes charitably, but monetized, sure.
1: Sure. So, so, so let, me, let me ask you a question. What is an average treatment, because those figures were not, we're not shared on, 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 on the documentary of NET. What does a five-day or 10-day treatment cost somebody?
0: See, now this is one of my problems because I keep away from NET because I don't want to be part of their... I've got to be separate from so I don't know. But if Joe Winston, the man that runs NET, he's the son-in-law of Meg Patterson, Meg Ingram, uh, he married their daughter, they would have that, but it is not much. I don't know, 5,000, 6,000, something ridiculous. The machines themselves, the little devices, cost very little to make. They run a 1AA battery that would last for...
1: I, I, I mean, I, I would think from a, a, as an entrepreneur, as a businessman, I would think from a business perspective, the average rehab facility, the average rehab stay recommended is between 21 and 30 days. And it costs you an average of $1,500 a day. So the average rehab stays is $5,000. I know. $5, I know. Okay? okay. So if you're able to get somebody completely off of drugs, okay, uh, in, in minimal care, in minimal care, uh, for five to six, even ten thousand dollars, I, I cannot see why the, the the insurance companies and the treatment facilities would not be jumping on this. You would be turning people. I mean,
0: they have tried. I know they've tried. I know they're still trying, and I know that various people come up and want it want to have skin in their game. So uh, let's the Beverly Hills clinics. I hope I'm not going to uh, get sued for this, but the Beverly Hills clinics back in the 70s wanted exclusive rights and they'd give millions on the table. I told you about Johnson & Johnson who also tried to buy it to bury hey, it. Yeah, yeah tell these- us about the
1: Johnson & Johnson story because that was what, what, one of my next questions. What, was, uh, what happened and why did that deal go through?
0: Again, I was just a filmmaker working on his second film, but I know that they turned up to negotiate. They recognized that this could work uh, they didn't. It's, it's not a news story. It happens all over science. Uh, they wanted to buy it in order to bury it. And they uh, George Patterson and his wife would not sell. And they said it's got to be for everybody and it's got to be maximized. There's got to be as many people as can have it. That was 1977, as far as I recall, 78 maybe. Uh, and, and they wouldn't do that. So, but, but I understand the motive. If you're in there for the money, Get rid of the opposition. Heavens, they're so well bound round with protection and insurance now of various sorts. It's very difficult to see how the current system will ever be uh, replaced. You know, it's okay. I'm not against MAT if it helps people. But why would you use MAT? And still make people probably like Purdue Pharma more money again if there was something that worked in five days, if there was something that took away the craving, and if there was something that kept working and working and working off. With no pharmacy, cost minimum um, expense, and strangely, people turn away and won't look at it if they've got their own very happy little scam going or thing going. That to me is probably why I did the last film because I'd, I knew about, none about this for a while. And I thought, this is wrong. And I didn't take a commission from the BBC, even though enough of me, I could probably have got one because of executive producers and other people telling you what you could say. I thought, if I'm going to do this, frankly, I was doing, very happy doing dramas and other films. I needed it like a hole in the head. And I said, if I'm going to do this, I don't want somebody with other contacts coming in and telling me what I can say or what I can't say. I will just be personally committed to telling the truth of what I see, showing what I see. And I can put my hand on my heart and say, that film shows what I saw. And as honestly as I can, including good things and bad things. That was part of it. So, so, so tell, did, me, tell, tell me about
1: the bad things that you saw during the film.
0: The, bad, the big bad thing for me was David. Um, who was a fine, fine young guy who wanted to be in politics, uh, wanted to help people. And it wasn't exactly Jekyll and Hyde. Well, no more than addiction can be. And you know that that can be a problem with addiction. You say one thing and do another okay. thing in spite right. of yourself. So he turned up to do it. He was very nervous about it, uh, but he turned up with the other four late. Um, as usual, they are taking stuff before they turn up. Um, and he'd smuggle stuff in. And he insisted he hadn't, and he smuggled stuff in. But this device that you just tap in behind your ears is very smart. It's a smart device. It tells you when you turn it off and turn it on. And if you put that device on and then take your Suboxone, it's contraindicatory. It stops both things working. So he'd turn it off and put it up, and they found trace of Suboxone in his, his system, which was strange. And it's happened before, and it was sad to happen here, because if anyone had potential in life, you know, you look at someone and say, wow, he could really go places. There was this guy, and in the end, he admitted to be taking this other stuff in a dorm where the other two people were addicted to Suboxone and coming off as well. He knew the... Uh, the Trial rules, which were made very clear. You can't smuggle in and start using, you have to leave. But even when he left, the people at Isaiah House, where that lent us the facility, they were wanting him to stay there too. We'll we'll still be with you, we'll be with you. But he was this, he was deeply, mentally, spiritually addicted. And, And he said, No, I've got to go, I've got to go. And he ended up within a few days. He'd taken another overdose and, and didn't pull through. He'd had about four or five overdoses before that. He was at the end of the road. And it still bothers me because he he could have just stepped and done it, but he couldn't because of what it had done to the, the addiction side of things. And that was one of the saddest things I've ever made a film about, but I couldn't leave him out. He was part of the story. I dedicated the film to him.
1: Now, I, I saw the film, and, and that was a very touching. Uh, and, and and you know was uh, was also touchy, the level of, of commitment from the uh EMT uh lady that that actually encouraged yeah. him to go to the treatment Brilliant. and 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 she was very committed to his his journey to recovery and she was devastated and heartbroken when she was actually she heard a call on the radio when they yeah. they made the weird. Yeah, and and uh and it was uh it it, 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 it was devastating. <laughs> It was definitely, definitely de- devastating. Um, you know, it's very interesting. Um, one thing that 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 you said a minute ago, and and it it, it touched me. Uh, you are addicted to the drug, and that contaminates your spirit. So your spirit becomes addicted. Okay, but. Mm-hmm. If you come off the drug, how do you heal that spirit?
0: How do you want that spirit? How do you heal the spirit? Heal well. and, 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 okay.
1: and, I, and I tell you that, and I know you're not an expert in this film, but I'm I'm, I'm asking you this from the question of of the film producer that saw those guys because I watched yeah. the movie. I, I I watched the movie or the film, the documentary, and to me, it's very amazing. If I would have thought that. Um, that anybody was not going to show up to the treatment was the first two guys uh, from, you know, the mountains.
0: Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky. Yeah. Ross, yeah. Ross and...
1: Yes. I, I would have thought that those were the guys that were going to... And they... Uh, yeah, they were not, you know, they wouldn't... I know. That, because well, boy, they, 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 they almost fit the social
0: uh, yeah. conditioning... Especially, especially. Uh, oh. Why I smile, sorry about that, I shouldn't, but why I smile is because I picked none of these guys. I'd never met them before. I yeah. thought, if I'm going to do this, other people have got to pick them. So the EMS lady, Jen Polk, picked uh, David. Uh, the other, Another guy picked the two from the uh, Eastern Kentucky. Another judge, drug judge, picked somebody from Manchester, Kentucky. And the other one just turned up because he happened to phone up Isaiah House can you help me? And they said, well, actually we've got this thing going on. So he turned up there. So I didn't know any of these. So for me, it was as much of a fresh watching as anybody else. But yes, how do you heal their, their soul? I'll tell you the truth. They get made whole. It's, it, it's, I don't doubt that therapy is good for them. I don't doubt that some sort of um, uh, individualized rehab could be very good for them. Some people are going to have more scars and limps than others. But what happens inside when the craving stops They come back. When the craving stops, they come back. Let me tell you about Phyllis Platt, who is a doctor in Louisville at the big university there. And she didn't know anything about this. It's a few years ago. And Spalding University did a study. And I don't know about you, but in in Scotland, where I actually live, uh, 3% success rate uh, after they spent £9 billion a year on drug and alcohol uh, treatment. 3% 3% success rate, which, as you probably know, is probably as much as you'd get if you didn't give them anything. 3% will find a way out somehow. Right. Right. So he was very, just got hired to do the job. She did this thing, had about 100 people on the study. 82% came off. 82% came clean, didn't have the craving, all that stuff. And all our colleagues were saying, hey, that's just amazing. We never get those numbers, whatever. She was harder. She said, what about the other 18%? Did the craving come back for them? So she went off and found them. Mean woman. She went off and found them. She said, Norman, when I, I quizzed her about this, I thought, At last somebody has done something here. And I, I said, what happened? And she said, Norman, not one of them had gone back on their drugs because of craving. The dog had died. The wife had left them. They got depressed. They were ill, whatever it would be. But not one of them said it's the craving comes back. So I have to say, in all honesty, it looks like pretty close to 100% of the people do not get cravings. Yeah. That changes life. Now, I don't doubt that you may sometimes need something to fill the space that's been left behind. Your best friend has gone. What do you do? And I don't doubt the spirituality has a play to that very often as well. And I don't doubt that people can go there and do it. In fact, some of the guys that were on Robert Capri came alive on all fronts on that level. That doesn't mean that you um, have to drag through with the pain of it all, which is the case, to still try and hold on to that, and God bless anyone who manages to do that. Well, well, and, and, and the
1: reality is this: if if the premise is this, that to stop the symptom, right? If you stop the symptom, then you can yeah. heal everything else. So if yeah. you if, if you if you if you stop the cost to the effect, then you can you can stop everything else can heal, right? Because then there's no longing for 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 an external. You're not running away from yourself. Because the reality is, in my experience. You know, uh, and I shared this with you early on, you know, I thought I was a problem, not that I had a problem, but when I was clear minded, when I was sober from my mind, soul, body, and spirit, okay, I had the clarity to understand I had a problem, I had a solution, and now I needed to focus on the solution, okay, uh, yeah. I think I and I think this is for a follow up podcast with with with, with uh, Miss Patterson or, or whatever her marriage name is uh, Margaret's yeah. and daughter.
0: And, and I, I would love to have. Mer- a Mer- yeah, uh, yeah, she's that. good. Mer Winston, her husband runs the show. You should talk to them both. They have all the facts, figures, evidence, and so on. I, I, I would love to talk. To them. I, would
1: do, I, I would love to do a podcast with them. And, and and let me tell you why. Because one of the things that I learned early on in some, in, in in recovery. Um, was that our mental development is stunted the moment that we begin to abuse whatever, whether it's alcohol or drugs. That's true. Okay. So if I started heavily using alcohol and you see it, I mean, the symptoms are very obvious. At, At 13 years old, my mental development stopped at 13 years old. So here I am an adult behaving like a 13 year old as an adult. You know, and and, right. and and I experienced it. You know, I was a functional alcoholic that would build businesses, and then I would do some stupid shit that only a thirteen-year-old would do. Yeah, there you go. Okay, uh, and, and so 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 the, that is scientifically proven. Okay, sure, uh, it's true. So, so so those are the kind of questions that I would like to. So to, what
0: happens when this happens? Well. Sometimes you just wish that you could pull people into a screen like now. I, I wish you could, I could pull the four guys in and you could ask them. Look up Robert Kapley on the Internet. He's bound to be out there saying something. He talks to that very well. All I know is even the guy that was first off on the very first film in 1975 is still off now. He came back. We put him on an island to get, recover physically uh owned by jack bruce of cream mm-hmm. he he uh went up there and he chopped wood and he herded sheep and he came back to the city to the same slummy part of london where he'd been before and his pushers saw him and went driving alongside flicking little packs of drugs at him and bounced off his chest he kept on walking presumably someone's behind picking them all up i don't know but but they <laughs> they see it and and he stayed clean now Rehab three, yeah, three months out on a very healthy Scottish island, doing all the healthy stuff. I agree, wonderful. Other times you get people I'm sure that need much more coaxing, help, and so on. Because you're right, you get on heroin at 14, you don't come off for 20 years. Hey, are you kidding me? 34 and you're acting like a 14 year old. Totally true. Sure. Sure. But this treatment, and again, please have the podcast with the people that have done all the proper research on this. It makes people whole. So I'd say pick anyone. I look at Brandon, the guy that was it, one of the guys. He's now making a very nice living. Thank you very much as a welder, traveling around, and he gets hundred dollars an hour or something ridiculous. And he isn't getting, he isn't spending it on drink or drugs. Yeah, it's it's back to normal as we're meant to be, and it really is a, a, a tonic to watch when that happens. Well, the the, the
1: reality is, Norman, that addiction is a dying of the soul, mind, body, and spirit. Supply- I agree sobriety and recovery is a process of coming back
0: alive. I agree. And, but let's ask you a question. I maybe did a wrong thing by making this film. For two and a half years, it's been dragging along. I, I haven't been paid and stuff like that. I did it because of my passion, right? So if you were me and you'd seen what you'd already seen and then the wave of bets, I mean, imagine we had an, a, an answer to coronavirus. Quiet uh-huh. right, right about it, right? Or you at least say, ask people to look at it. That's why I did it. Would, what would you have done? I would have taken the film to Netflix. I did. They said, no, we have already spent so much money buying things on the opioid addiction crisis. We can't possibly buy in another one. But great film. You'll have no problem.
1: Uh, they it, said, it, 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 you know what? It is a great film. And, and I think a lot of times uh, I would um, you need to you and I need to talk uh, of of. After the podcast, at some point, okay. Uh, but but yeah, I would have taken it to Netflix. It's an incredible documentary. It's very very well done. Uh, I think uh, if, if we're talking from a perspective of, of uh, there's probably some political incorrectness in the sense of it's very raw, it's very true, and sometimes. Okay. That- that, that has a tendency of scaring people like Netflix and
0: other, and, other, and other... Yeah, it's available now on Amazon. You can buy it or rent it on Amazon. Yeah, let's talk about that. Where can people find the film and... and, and, and if, if they go on Amazon, the, the, the big sadness, because I'm a thrifty person living in thrifty, thrifty Scotland, of course, so um, the fact of spending money when you don't need to is is not in my nature. So um, you you buy your, I don't know, your Amazon deal, Uh, for what, $7, $10 a month or something. And then, but you also have a platform where you can buy stuff for X amount of money. So this is on a platform, Amazon. You look up the final fix. You can rent it for a small amount of money. You buy it for a bit more than that. It's accessible to all. Do you know what's missing? We have no publicity, no money left for publicity, no money way of telling people, uh, but thank you for inviting me on. This isn't a commercial. It's just that people do want to see it and some people should see it, especially if you've got questions and you say, where's it been? I can't believe it. Just look at it. That's all. Just look at it.
1: You know what? I do want to encourage people to see it. And I am going to make a commercial uh, uh, or, or, or a plea uh, for people to go out and watch this film. Uh, it is called The Final Fix, available on uh, Amazon, available uh, on other platforms as well.
0: Or, or uh, We hope to be in, uh, in Vudu, Apple Plus, and Google Play uh, within three weeks, four weeks.
1: And, and, and I want to encourage the community to go out. If you're interested about recovery, if you're passionate about the, the change and transformation, I encourage you to look up normal stone, watch the trailer and you would be hooked to watch the film. It's an incredible, incredible film. Uh, it's worth your while. There's a lot of powerful information. How you see people in recovery come alive, those five case studies that they did, it is unbelievable. Unfortunately, out of the five case studies, there's one gentleman that uh, obviously succumbs his life to, to a, a case of overdose. Uh, but that's just the way life is, you know, unfortunately, you know, as, is, is a choice that he made to walk away from, from the treatment and, and, and chose not to do it.
0: Norman, where, where can people find you? Where can people find me? Yes. Uh, uh, are, I, you are you social uh, media? My, my, first of all, the, it, all the information you need is probably on our website, which is thefinalfix.com. Couldn't be easier, could it? www.thefinalfix.com. Uh, if you wrote to me in my office here at 1A Productions, which is a small filmmaking uh, company. Uh, I, I'm spoiled rotten, really. I get to make films I care about, and that's just wonderful. Uh, if you put office at one A Productions, that's an S dot co dot UK, you'll get to us, and that'll get to me. So the idea of seeing the website with all the other information on, um, you you'll benefit from that, and that is a, an internet connection as well. Can I just say though that? The people who are needing to hear about this are the people that are sitting silently and doing nothing. Do you know, I'm approaching, I'm trying, Jim, I hope you're watching this, Jim Carroll, the biggest uh, drug czar in America, in the White House and all that, he, bless him, has spent 35 billion, he was on the radio the other day, 35 billion on drug and alcohol since President Trump took over. 35 billion. This costs next to nothing See the film, Jim. I mean, he was on a, a radio show in Kentucky, Terry Miner's show, which I'd been on. And bless old Terry. He said he's interviewing him about all these things. Yes, I've spent $35 billion. And he said, Jim, before you go, can I ask you to, can I give you three words to remember for the rest of your life? And he said, sure, what are it? God bless you. I don't know what he thought he was going to say. But he said, the final fix, because he'd seen the movie. Sure. He said, that is what you've got to see and got to look. And you know what? You can give that 35 billion to any other people you want. If this takes over, it's a game changer. Why do not people enter it, look at it, test it out? It's just a, At the end of a film, which took me two and a half years, and a lot of suffering, what is the statement? Can you remember that I say at the end? Am I blowing bugles, beating drums, saying, "Go get the big farmers?" I might. But what I say at the end is simply this: Excuse, Very British. Excuse me shouldn't we look at this? That's basically it. Now, that is true. We
1: should. And no we question. should look at this. Look at the film, The Final Fix, with incredible executive producer and director, Mr. Norman Stone. You heard him here on Coming Clean Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so Wonderful much. Wonderful to be here. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Get it fast. Hit dash in my position. You will never let. Nah, real
0: talk, I had get it fast thanks for joining us today on another episode of the coming clean podcast make sure to join peter and his next guest on a brand new episode as we continue changing and impacting lives across the world share this episode with a friend follow subscribe and leave a review a dash in my position you will never last real talk i